0: My name is Sophia Ansari.
1: And my name is Breck Warren.
0: And we are bringing you the third episode of Hero Nation. Yeah! (laughs) Uh, Breck, you and I have been having some conversations about some stuff lately and Mm -hmm. um, a lot of... Topics have been coming up because of, you know, like the news and whatnot, especially around the topic of cultural appropriation and topics centered around Native Americans. Um, and also, I just want to say, make sure I'm I want to make sure I'm respectful. So um, just <laughs> let me know if Native Americans is the correct term or, or if American Indian, um, no. because I know that this topic hits really close to home for you. Right
1: yeah i mean for me this is personal because my youngest brothers are actually native american Uh, shout out to the Lumbee nation and for the first 10 years uh for the last 10 years i've been living in wisconsin and my first job was as a special education co-teacher at oneida nation high school And when i moved to green bay my home my house is technically within the oneida reservation boundary if you're ever around Green Bay, you may see signs up that say, you know, Oneida Indian Reservation Boundary, or, you know, you're entering the Oneida Indian Reservation, you'll see them all around Green Bay. Um, my wife is Oneida, which means my children are, so this doesn't hit close to home, this is home for me. Right. My car that I drive, I have an Oneida license plate with a Turtle Clan sticker, because that's the clan my wife and children are a part of. And now you ask, what what is the correct term? Well... Yeah, there's Native American, First Nations, Indigenous, American Indian, Indian, Native. Now, these are all blanket terms that get used, but what I've learned is most people just want to be referred by who they are. But, you know, there's over 500 federally recognized tribes, so this is not always possible. Now, recognizing the diversity within this group and that each nation has its own cultural language, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll just use American Indian and Native American interchangeably. Now, if we could just get the NFL to show the same respect, Mm -hmm. you know, or as uh, Brandon Newman and Joy Taylor say, the R word, they they always say the Washington R words. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and children are members of the Lytle Nation of Wisconsin, so that is my experience. She said that this is a topic for discussion in academia as well, and agreed that American Indian is the term most often used.
0: Yeah, and and shout out to your wife, by the way, Laura. (laughs) Um, She's really been helpful to me, um, you know, (laughs) with like what I should, you know, like the correct terminology, because I always just want to be respectful. So Mm -hmm. thanks for that as well. Um, And because I know this is your life and this episode means a lot to you, uh, we figured now is a good time, like I said, especially with everything that's going on lately in the news and whatnot, yeah. to talk about and highlight Native American superheroes, uh, and especially because November is also Native American Heritage Month, uh, which I know this is being released really late in November. <laughs> but, um, and it's also Rock Your uh, mocks which is, mm-hmm. um, and Laura told me about this, it's like Rock Your Moccasins, it's basically, yep. it's a, a worldwide uh, movement created to unify Native Americans, Aboriginals, First Nations, Alaska natives, indigenous people globally. so that's a a really big movement that's been happening all month long um, and we're also coming off of Thanksgiving, right mm-hmm. And uh, yes we know we know how people still cling to you know that really, inaccurate historical depiction of Thanksgiving and first Thanksgiving. So um, with all of that, you know, before we even get into all the specifics, I do want to talk about something that I don't really always do on this this podcast, but it's a little political big shout out to... (laughs) Uh, because I somehow have been following politics more than I have before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But the big shout out to Deb Holland of New Mexico uh, and a member of the Pueblo of Laguna and Sharice Davids from Kansas, a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation. Um, These two amazing women are actually the first Native American women elected to Congress, which is just amazing. And And crazy. I know, I know. I just want to say that. I know. And and, in over 240 years there's never been a Native American woman in Congress. So, like you said, I mean, it's just, it's about time, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's definitely amazing. You know, we always talk about how representation matters, and so think about that experience and knowledge these women are going to bring.
0: Exactly. And
1: a little history for you people out there. The United States government only granted citizenship to all Native Americans in 1924, which was four years after the women's suffrage. And then Holland's home state of New Mexico was the last state to grant them the right to vote in 1962.
0: Wow. See, like I said, I have never followed politics as much as I have now. And uh, so living through these really historic moments is really something Mm -hmm. else, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, And like I said before, conversations regarding a lot of topics around cultural appropriation has been coming up a lot more lately in the news Mm -hmm. line. Um, We've been texting back and forth about Kevin Hart lately. Yes. Um, You know, and I'm a fan of Kevin Hart, but I'm really disappointed (laughs) in what's happened recently. He um, posted a picture of his, Kid's birthday party and the theme was cowboys and Indians.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I know, I know. You're so disappointed. Uh, <laughs> and some people were trying to educate him on why, hey, you know, that's not cool. And they were saying to him, you know, hey, that's basically like throwing, you know, a, a KKK and slaves party, right? Mm. And then you have people on the other end who are like, oh, what's the big deal? There's nothing wrong with that. And and didn't he also say yeah, what's the he, big he deal? He
1: made a statement. He was like, I don't get it. It's not racial. It's you know, I've been playing these, I won't say his exact quote, but he, was just pre- he just pretty much said he's been playing these games since he was a kid. Right. And my analogy was, I was thinking, okay, so someone in, you know, after, during Reconstruction, I used to play with my slave all the time. What's so bad about that? Well, right. just because it was wrong then, or right then, doesn't make it right now. Exactly. You know, as again, Laura always says, you know better than you do better.
0: Yep, I agree. You
1: know, and... Yeah, it's like, man. I know, I know. I mean, just an example, you know, Megyn Kelly got into trouble for saying blackface wasn't a big deal. I know, no, that was just, big. Yeah. yeah, it's just all messed up. It is. So I don't get why people understand don't understand why this stuff is not cool. So before we even dive in superhero talk, let's get a few things straight.
0: All right. <laughs> so
1: Halloween wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of Pocahontas costumes. Now, nope, not cool. You know, okay, Disney princess, but uh-uh. Yeah. First, you're not dressing up as a person, you're dressing up as a culture when people see that. When people not from that cultural race do that, we call it cultural appropriation or taking the characteristics of a non-dominant culture and using it for their
0: own gains. Right. So like the Disney store is a good example of that. They mm-hmm. they sell tons of costumes like Pocahontas costumes, right? And they're making big money off of a a non-dominant culture. So that's another example, like, nope, not cool. That's like our new thing. Nope, not cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, each tribe has their own identity. When you see a single type of costume that is supposed to represent all American Indians, it's messed up because they don't all wear two braids with leather skirts and have teepees and tomahawks. It's like what we talked about with Muslims, how Muslims come from all cultures and parts of the world.
0: Right, exactly. They don't all wear headscarves and burqas
1: see exactly that's the same with american indians all these halloween costumes with the headdresses you see that are just disrespectful and exploiting tribal traditions again there's over 500 federally recognized tribes across the nation and as i said earlier each of these have their own languages and cultures and yet most of those costumes are white people's interpretations and stereotypes of plain tribes culture
0: and and i also read that um, they head headdresses and this is something that's come up. I think, wasn't it last night that you texted me that the Ricky Martin yes. thing, he's wearing yep. the headdress. Um, mm-hmm. So they're also called war bonnets. And by the way, that's another example of the exploit- exploitation of Plains tribes. And they're really significant because, you know, for people who don't know, every single eagle feather is gifted to a person based on an act of honor or an act of, battle so mm-hmm. each feather means something and these fake ones that you see as costumes like you know like i said like ricky martin just posted you know mm. i don't know what he was doing I don't know on instagram or whatever he's just you know wearing it but that's basically like if someone were to pin on a fake purple heart right mm-hmm. just for fashion exactly you know so and, and if people did that like if you went and you did that people would be so offended by that right and oh, yes, but then the, the the crazy thing is that they're okay with fake headdresses as costumes so that's messed up and and also i want to say that the irony with all of this is that during the 1800s american indians were actually punished For wearing things that were culturally significant to them. And they were forced to assimilate. And now people are making freaking Halloween costumes and runway shows um, with those those items that are so significant. And these are the same items that people weren't allowed to use. So it's just all around so disrespectful to dress up for the sake of your own entertainment.
1: I know. See, again, not cool. It's just so messed up. (laughs) You know, I read this article and there was a statement I wanted to share that was said by someone named, and I'm sorry if I messed up your name, Tiessa Zentik, who is a tribal member and director of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Department of Education. She says, appropriation is about power. It's about the power of another culture or group of people to remove items with significant cultural meaning out of context and use them despite another group saying, please don't do that. The mascot issue is another can of worms,
0: exactly, like you were mentioning with the the football teams, like the NFL and all that, mm-hmm. yeah, so I also think that this type of stuff also makes it seem like American Indians only existed in the past, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, like they don't exist anymore, and honestly, oh my gosh, if I hear <laughs> one more person talk about political correctness, like one more damn time. <laughs> um, <laughs> because that just oh that just gets me so angry because this is what this is all about this is all about respect mm-hmm. and also about the emotional well-being of human beings who see these stereotypical images and what it does to them psychologically right uh, i mean just think for a moment of uh, american indian children right and uh-huh. and the way it impacts them in how they see themselves and how others see them so, so really what I want to say to everyone listening out there is that the take home message is don't dress up as an American <laughs> Indian. Um, but, Breck, we know that our listeners out there, they go to Comic Cons, right? Mm-hmm. And they dress up like their favorite superheroes. So I was wondering if we could just take a moment, Breck, and give our listeners out there like a guide to sort of like what's appropriate <laughs> versus not appropriate costume. Is that okay if we take a minute yeah, to do yeah, that? Yeah, we
1: could do that real quick. And again, most times, people at Comic-Con get it right. You know, I don't see people at C2E2 going in blackface when they're dressing up like Storm from X-Men. They just wear a white wig, and people know they're Storm. I mean, my son went his gambit. He had red hair, a coat, a stick, and he had some cards. So you could be any superhero that you want. Just copy the specifics that aren't tied to race. It's like anyone who wears a cape with an S on it. We know they're Superman. I mean, you don't have to think that hard you want to be Nick Fury, just wear a jacket and eye patch. People will get it. You know, just don't try to be something general like the Native American warrior or an Egyptian. When you dress up as an Indian or even a native, you're dressing up as a stereotype of an entire continent of people. You want to dress up as an Australian or as an African. And the Pocahontas costume is based off, you know... When you think about it, because in reality, she was 15, she was a 15-year-old teenager who was kidnapped, raped, abused, and forced to assimilate, forced to convert to Christianity, and then forced to marry one of her captors. Her real name wasn't even Pocahontas. And out of respect, because I might mispronounce her name, I encourage everyone to look it up. Now, even though your little girl might like the Disney movie, like my daughter, remember the Disney movie left a lot, a lot, a whole lot, Mm-hmm. Of historically inaccurate stuff and turn her into a sexy woman instead of the young teenager that she really was,
0: I know that just see that's another thing that just gets my blood boiling <laughs> dang it disney um <laughs> i know i I always say, think about what would happen if you actually ran into someone of that culture? Okay. So like Mm -hmm. an American Indian, how would you feel if you ran into an American Indian and you're dressed like Pocahontas, right? You're basically saying to that person, Hey, I'm dressing like your people who were slaughtered and chased off their land. right? Right. I mean, that's basically just a slap in the face. And, you know, we're talking about the sexy Indian. Don't even get me started on that because that just sexualizes an entire culture. That has a history of being raped uh, as as being raped and and rape being used as a a tool of warfare against them and a culture who continues to this day Mm. to fight for resources for the large number of missing and murdered indigenous women. Right. Mm. Um, and, And. you told me about this, but there was a, a movie that came out earlier this year called Wind River, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it tackled this speci- this very topic. And yeah. it's actually on Netflix right now, so I encourage everyone out there to definitely check that out. It's called Wind River.
1: And again, I just want to chime in. The same director who did Hell or High Water and uh, he did another good movie that I saw that I can't remember what it is now, but he he's the one who wrote and directed Wind River. Okay. And he said it was his dream project to do this. I was like, oh, snap. Okay, well, let me yeah. check this out. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I was like, oh, it's a good movie. Go check it out. And so I checked it out, and I was like, whoa.
0: Right. No, that's good. I'm definitely going to check it out because I know you just you told me about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. it's exactly about the topic we're talking about mm-hmm. right now. So it's, anyway, but, it's important.
1: Yes, yes. And people are going to say, you know, out there, hey, costumes don't matter. Stop mm-hmm. complaining about everything. But just remember that if you engage in this stuff, then you are responsible for the racial divide. Exactly. You're responsible for the way your own kids view other American Indians. I mean, like you said, if you ran into somebody who was dressed stereotypically as an American Indian, you know, that actually happened to my wife and I. We were out to dinner. It was a, had, had to be around Halloween because why else would you be wearing a costume, you know? And it was a waitress there who was dressed as a stereotypically, you know, American Indian. And so my wife had to, you know, go talk to her, tell her some things in a nice way, of course. You right. know, she still got a tip. Don't worry. You know, right. we're, not, we're not like that. But, you know, it was just very... I guess, awkward to see, you know, because, oh, yeah, you expect that on a, on a stereotypically college campus or, again, people who don't know, but you would think, okay, a major chain restaurant that I won't put out its name, yeah, you know, it's just, that's a little weird, man, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, see, and that's, yeah, that happened to you, you know, And, and, but you guys, because you're kind people you, you educated her kindly so I'm <laughs> yes. glad that and hopefully she learned something but see again you just never know who you're going to run into and if you happen to run into that you know person from that culture yeah you can deeply hurt them and offend them so so really what we're saying here is a take-home message again no take-home message, is that when you try to represent an entire group with a costume that goes beyond your own background you're going to get in trouble <laughs> basically is what we're saying right so yes. if, if your costume is good You don't need racial uh, features for people to know who you are. Uh, So, hopefully, that was a helpful guide and educational (laughs) to everyone out there. We need that little the more you know music. Remember that back in the day? The more you know. Yes, I do. Um, Mm -hmm. We we need that. But that's what we do here, Breck. We bring education, awareness, and geekdom together, don't we? Yes, yes, we do. (laughs) And, you know, I just want to say, you know, our mission at Hero Nation is to talk about representation in the media. And Native people have seen their culture misrepresented in movies Uh tv and in even holidays like columbus day for decades right Uh Uh, and by the way you know a lot of cities have finally changed um columbus day to indigenous people's day um, to to really recognize the survival and the resilience of these first nations so that's that's some change something in a positive direction right you know
1: and you know what? Since you got a study coming up, oh, how did you? How did you, you, know? you got some research to drop.
0: How did you? How did your spidey sense? Oh yeah, you, you picked up on that. Um, so, sounds yeah. like it. It wouldn't be a Hero Nation episode without a research study. That <laughs> so, that is very true. I, I learned so much from these episodes. So okay, so and I actually do want to spend a little bit of time on this because it's so important, and I don't think this. This is the kind of stuff that people are really aware of, especially when it comes to, you know, the Native American community. So there was uh, a recent research study that revealed media's role in stereotypes about Native Americans. And if you want to check it out, and of course I'll post it, but if you want to check it out, it's also called, it's called um, Reclaiming Native Truth. Okay. And so what they did is from the years 2016 to 2018, the First Nations Development Institute conducted research to uncover the dominant stories and narratives about indigenous people in the United States and how these views affect public opinion and public policy. Hmm. So the study found that the largest barrier to public sympathy for native rights was the, it says, the invisibility and erasure of Native Americans in all aspects of modern US society. Representation Ooh. of contemporary Native Americans was found to be almost completely absent from K-12 education, pop culture, news media, and politics. Okay? Uh, I know. And, and two-thirds of respondents said that they don't know a single Native person, right? And only 13% of state history curriculums curriculum standards about native americans cover events after the year 1900 okay so these are our kids and what they're being exposed to you know in the education system right right um so for the average u.s citizen the main exposure to contemporary native americans is through media and pop culture we know that right i mean that's exposure for for a lot of people for different cultures but unfortunately contemporary native americans are almost completely absent From mainstream news media and pop culture and where narratives about native americans do exist they are primarily deficit based and guided by misperceptions assumptions and stereotypes says the report so i'm just reading right off the report Uh here uh it says the only references to native americans that were continuously heard from people taking the survey were what do you think What what do you think the movie Dances Ooh, with Wolves, yeah, yeah. and then Parks and Recreation, which I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, I've never yeah, seen yeah. that, so I you, no it's, idea. it's a good show, but geez, yeah, there, <laughs> I didn't even, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I didn't even think about that, yeah. So these stereotypes and caricatures are really forming perceptions of Native people, and now I'm thinking back Ooh. to some of the episodes, and they're right, Parks and Recreation, that is not cool. Um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to think back now. Um, so, and then also you, uh, had brought this up, the Lone Ranger, right? Yeah, the, the remake. Yep. Um, it says that in the report too that the remake of Lone Ranger featuring Native American sidekick Tonto, um, mm-hmm. who I guess Johnny Depp played him, right? So, yes. um, so that renewed concerns about whether the media promotes stereotypical images of Native Americans. So in film and television. American Indians have been long portrayed as people of few words, right? Or they have mm-hmm. magical powers, right? Um, mm. And so the report said that 40% of respondents did not think that native people ex- still existed. Can you believe oh, wow. that?
1: That's real sad. That's
0: really like, wow, 40%. And then another statistic was um, while well, 59% agree, that the United States is guilty of committing genocide against Native Americans, only 36% agree that Native Americans experience significant discrimination today. That oh, means that nearly two-thirds of the public perceive Native Americans as experiencing little to no oppression or structural racism. Uh, and, and, Breck, you know, I'm not just going to keep going on and on and on because I'm sure people want to hear your voice too. So, <laughs> And I need to rest <laughs> my voice a little. So you have some, you have like the rest of that report that you want to share too, right? Yeah, because,
1: you know, nationally, Native Americans are more likely to live in poverty be unemployed, experience rape or abuse, and be killed by police than any other ethnic or racial group. Now, this is despite the fact that Native Americans face the highest highest rates of these and other indicators of systemic racism. Their oppression is mainly invisible to the American public. Unsurprisingly, this perception that Native people no longer experience oppression results in a very low support for Native struggles and social justice issues. You know... It says in the report, people were less likely to support certain rights and social justice issues for Native people when they had zero perception and understanding of who we are. Invisibility and erasure is the modern form of racism against Native people.
0: I know, and, and just the one last part of this report. And like I said, people can check this out. Like the full report, um, we'll post it. Uh, but this is the last part that is really sad. But it didn't surprise me, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. That the the ignorance is shared by members of Congress too. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, and the the federal court systems. So and obviously they often have direct impact on the rights of tribes and their citizens. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is so, very true. Even though Native Americans make up 1.3 percent of the U.S. population, they are only 0.3 percent of people currently elected to Congress. And remember, we just—you know—we just gave a shout out to the two Congresswomen yeah. recently, which is why that's like so historic. Uh, congressional members interviewed by the research team admitted knowing little to nothing about Native issues. Now, get this: one Congressperson reported that a colleague had asked him if. Indians still live in teepees on the reservations. I mean, oh, come on. Man. Give me a break. And federal judges and law clerks had similar responses with the report finding the majority have little to no experience with tribal nations or Native Americans and know little about tribal sovereignty or federal Indian law. So, again, if you want to check that out and the read the rest of the report, you can go to reclaimingnativetruth.com. And then go to the research section.
1: Wow. And you know, what's surprising is, you know, before I moved up here, I remember my wife said, Oh, I remember the Knight of Tribe. And I said, What's that? And she told me to Google it. Yeah. And I was just started, Oh, like, oh man, there's so much history here, so much stuff. So it's really depressing, you know, that people don't know, unfortunately. And yeah. see, we talked about people like Collins and Davids, you know, we need them more now than ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about media like TV and movies, and I want to bring up the comic book world. Because historically in comics, Native American characters aren't usually really featured as much. You know, they're usually sidekicks or the villains. But there is a creator we want to highlight. His name is John Proudstar. And he was inspired to become a comic book writer after the first time he saw a superhero who looked like him. It was the Native American superhero, Thunderbird, whose name is also... John Proudstar, just spelled <laughs> awesome. differently. You know, the creator is J O N. Superhero is J O H N.
0: Isn't that cool? To have the that same, that the was same that name? was crazy
1: when I found that out. <laughs> yeah. So from X Men, but they get but that character got killed off pretty quick, and so you know he was an eight year old kid reading about this character who he identified with. And all of a sudden they kill him off, and ever since then he kept telling himself that one day he would bring him back. So he did what any comic book geek dreams and grows up to do. He created a comic book and featured a whole team of Native American superheroes. The book was called Tribal Forest and was released in 1996. Now, unfortunately, the publisher went out of business after one issue, so John just kept trying to get a publisher. But no one was interested, mainly because the main character was a sexual abuse survivor.
0: I know, and he says that the, the characters were actually based off of people he knew, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and this character who was a sexual abuse survivor was actually based off of a student he met who, unfortunately, uh, she eventually took her own life.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: so really all he was trying to do was honor her and her story. And so I'm sure it was really hard uh, for him when no one would give him a chance to tell those important stories, you mm. know? And, and every publisher kept telling him, uh, to not talk about some of those tough topics he was talking about uh, so but but fortunately he he did eventually, because he just kept fighting for his stories he he eventually met a guy named Lee Francis uh, from native realities press and Native realities press focuses on native writers, artists, and game designers, and so they understood that these topics about sexual abuse. And addiction were issues that their community faced, right? Mm-hmm. And and that they needed superheroes to tell these stories and inspire people and give people hope because that's what superhero stories do, don't they?
1: Yes, they do.
0: And, and so because, you know, Native kids, they don't have representations of themselves in the media and culture. They so so you know these guys were able to create these characters and give those kids that representation. Um they also published uh Tales of the Mighty Code Talkers. Uh these mm-hmm. stories have been promoted at, you know, Indigenous Comic Con in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which you need to get on that bracket and go mm-hmm. go to that. That'd be great. Um and Native Realities has other comics that are also available online too so make sure to check them out and support them um, because they're also you know in the schools and in Native American community centers which is awesome and great and yeah we need to make sure we support them fully
1: yeah and I just want to backtrack for a second I know you talked about you know one of his characters was a sexual abuse survivor right a lot of people may not know this but Nightwing of all people is a sexual abuse survivor he was actually mm-hmm. raped by a female villain So, and a lot of people. What Nightwing? Yeah, Nightwing. First Robin, Dick Grayson. Yeah, that guy. Right. Right. And those stories just show how how hungry people are for characters who look like them, you know, who experience things like them. Exactly. I'm glad that people are creating these stories because, as we've said in other episodes, that's authentic storytelling. You know, I'm sure it was hard for him to constantly see what was being portrayed in the media like the stereotype showing the feathers and the war paint. Kids can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, no? Uh-uh. And about Thunderbird. He was, he was introduced in 1975 as part of the all-new, all-different X-Men team. You know, he was an Apache character and served as a Marine in the Vietnam War. He was only in about five issues until they killed him off. I mean, now you see him in flashbacks and everything else, but it's not the same. Right. I'm glad that John Proudstar created Tribal Force, and that just shows characters who deal with real-world problems that Indian kids face today. I mean, everybody credits Sp- still Stan Lee for doing that with Spider-Man. Right. You know, and I know he highlights issues like alcoholism and domestic violence, and natives just aren't from all the Old West, you know. Like we said, they still exist and are dealing with real-life issues today. Some of the characters in Tribal Force include someone with fetal alcohol syndrome, who transforms into a hawk-like character named Little Bighorn. Also, Tribal Force isn't just made up of heroes, but it's educational and gives information on different tribes. And Jod Proustar does his research to make sure each tribe is depicted respectfully. He spoke to people from different tribes to get it right.
0: Yeah that's really good uh, and it's it's worth mentioning that uh, there's a another superhero named Red Wolf right mm-hmm, that Marvel yeah. they rebooted right. and they announced that they would that Red Wolf would belong to a made up tribe like they just made it up and that got a lot of backlash from people right cuz that, that doesn't does do anyone <laughs> any good when it's a made up tribe right. so so it's even more significant cuz you just said that tribal force like John he actually talked to different tribes to make sure to get it mm-hmm. right so Tribal force is just, you know, it's representing actual tribes. So that's, you know, right. also get that educational kind of piece to it. So, so, Breck, you gave us a nice like little Je- Jeopardy trivia earlier. But did you know that John Proudstar, we're talking about the writer here, he's also an actor. Okay. And no. he co-starred with a, uh, a Native American actor named Boo Boo Stewart. I don't know if you know who that is. That name he, I have heard. But he happened to, Boo Boo Stewart played Warpath um, which, by the way, that could also be considered a pretty offensive character, yeah, but yeah, just a um, bit. <laughs> in the X Men movie Days of Future Past. And so, for those out there who don't know, the irony here is that Warpath is actually the younger brother of Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. And then, of I'll course, see. we know. See? Thunderbird was John's favorite hero, so that's a nice little, you know, those like those six separations degrees. Yeah. Of, you know, that's like a nice connection for John there. So yeah, that's just like my little trivia there.
1: <laughs> see, no, that's very cool. Yeah, that's also a good transition into Warpath and oh, a little there more you on go. Thunderbird. Segway, so see, segway. it all it all works out. It comes together in the end. <laughs> it does. So Thunderbird, just to give a little more information, is a mutant from the X Men with super strength. He was a rebellious character, and that's basically what got him killed off, is that he didn't follow Professor X's orders. I mean, I still remember seeing the issue where, you know, Banshee's telling him, get off the plane, I can catch you, I can stop him, don't worry. And, you know, Thunderbird's just pounding onto the plane. And, you know, cause, again, he he was he was on, on the plane. And, yeah, it eventually blew up because he was just hitting the plane, pounding the plane. And the writers said they killed him off because his character was basically another version of Wolverine. You know, I think the writers regretted killing him off, though. So they introduced his younger brother, Warpath, who had the same mutant strength as his brother, Thunderbird. Now, Warpath's name, like we said before, or I don't know if we said it before, was James Proudstar. I was recruited by Emma Frosty, part of the Hellions team, which is basically the evil X-Men. I mean, she ran a school and they were villains. And Warpath hated the X-Men. He actually blamed him for his brother's death. He put on his brother's costume and attacked the X-Men and kidnapped Professor X. But at the end, he wasn't able to kill Professor X. He later made peace with the team and quit the Hellions and ended up leaving to spend time with his family on the reservation. Although later on, his entire tribe gets killed, so Warpath joins the New Mutants team, which was led by Cable. Because he thought the Hellions were the ones who killed his tribe. And then eventually he joins X-Force and eventually the X-Men.
0: Right. And, you know, their air origin story starts on an Apache reservation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it all starts when their, their mom was pregnant with both of them. She was actually exposed to nuclear fallout after a, a nearby government test. Mm-hmm. So that's how uh, Thunderbird and Warpath got their mutant powers. So War Warpath really really loved his brother and really even just idolized him more after his brother joined the Marines. Uh-huh. So I mean imagine the you know the turmoil he felt after his brother was killed while fighting, you know with the X-Men, it just added like so many more layers to his storyline yeah. because then you had like revenge and hatred and grief and, um, and then all of that eventually turned into, he eventually did end up working for the X-Men. Right. right. So, yeah. so I, I thought that was kind of a, a deeply, sim- it was symbolic that um, after his brother, John, you know, Thunderbird died, the X-Men were going to bury him, but yeah. Warpath, Stole the body to give him a proper Apache warrior funeral. So I thought that was kind of pretty touching, right?
1: So. Yeah, I mean he has some strong storylines around themes of grief for sure. Yeah, and there was a series back in the day called X Men Classic. When I say back in the day, I just mean the nineties. Right. <laughs> and it pretty much reprinted the earlier. Well, it reprinted the all new, all different X Men, starting with that giant size X Men going on, and I and on the there were two books. There was that story and then a backup story. And I think it was in issue three where the X-Men are there, you know, to attend, to attend Thunderbird's funeral. And his parents don't want the X-Men looking for the body. And like, no, just leave it alone. It's fine. It's all good. And, of course, Cyclops tells the X-Men, to look around. And Wolverine finds what James is up to. And he tells Cyclops, he said, it's just, you know, a little brother trying to honor his big brother in the ways of their people. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. Go ahead, Chris Claremont, you know, for (laughs) clearing that up a little bit. Yeah. Now, another interesting character is Man of Bats. Mm. So he's basically the native Batman. Nice. Now, he's a Native American vigilante inspired by Batman, and he has a sidekick who is his son named Little Raven. So kind of, you know, we always say Batman needs a Robin. Well, Man of Bats needs a raven. Right. And he has been in the Club of Heroes and Batman Incorporated number seven Is when his origin gets revealed And it's so crazy because he's a doctor He served in the the army As a doctor in Iraq And Batman asked him to join the club of heroes You know and they decide who And he fights crime at night and on the weekends And you know There's a picture of him getting arrested Because him and his son were protesting A liquor store that was on a reservation You know and it's just You know crazy And that's how all this stuff comes up And comes at him And he's telling his boss, like, what happens on the evenings and weekends, I'm not here, it doesn't matter. Mm. And the comic shows his relationship with his son, which was Rocky, and shows how they go through those challenges while also being a crime-fighting team together. Batman shows up to help out in the middle of the issue, and Batman realizes that you don't need millions of dollars to fight crime, because he sees how Man of Bats and Little Raven do it. Right. And Little Raven says, you know, we do it on a budget. And by the end of the comic, Batman asks if there's anything he can do. <laughs> right. And Little Raven, you know, again, he's a kid. So he's like, well, if you got a bunch of Batmobiles, you know, yep. we don't need them. <laughs> right. But we'll take them. But he said, because he'll, meaning from out of bats, so we'll just give it to the people.
0: oh <laughs> yeah, I'd ask the same thing too, right? I'll take a mobile or two. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so I'm trying to think of other, other characters that, you know, we wanted to introduce. Um, there's also Equinox, mm-hmm. who is a teenage superhero and a member of the Justice League United. Her heritage is Cree, and she's from Canada. She was inspired by Canada's First Nation people. And she's 16, and her powers come from the Earth and changes with the... The seasons. And so Jeff Lemire, am I saying that? Yeah, right? Lemire, Lemire, maybe. Lemire, uh... the, the writer, <laughs> <laughs> he spent time with, he actually spent time with the First Nation Canadians for, for research. And then he got feedback on how to not make her dress stereotypical. Which is uh, like, good. you know, like, don't, don't, you know, they told him, don't add like the beads in the fringe because mm-hmm. that's not how we dress. Um, so, and, and then also the, the character at Equinox was based off of a, First Nation educational leader who, who actually tragically died in a car accident.
1: Yeah. Another interesting character is Maya Lopez, whose superhero name is Echo. She was born deaf, and she's part of the Marvel Universe, you know, particularly Daredevil. So her dad worked for the Kingpin, who was actually the one who sent the order for her dad to be killed, where she doesn't know that at the time. So when her dad was dying, he reached out to her and left a bloody red handprint on her face and later she actually paints a white handprint on her face as part of her costume. You know, I mean, Superman can just put on some glasses. Hey, Echo can have a handprint. She has a handprint <laughs> exactly. on her face, right? <laughs> and she's raised by the Kingpin, and she eventually trains to take down Daredevil because Kingpin makes her believe that Daredevil was the one who killed her dad, kind of like in the Daredevil movie, the first one. So she picks the name Echo because she's, she has the ability to copy any motion she sees. So her storyline takes her back to her dad's reservation where she meets Wolverine, who's just everywhere because it's Wolverine. (laughs) He's popping up, right? Exactly. And she eventually becomes drawn in and fights the Hand, which is a ninja group. A lot of stuff happens in between, you know, that and then the super... Human Registration Act happens, which was in Civil War, and some other crazy stuff happens. I'm not going to ruin, you know, for you in case you want to go find out what happened to her. But if you like the Marvel Universe, especially the Defenders, you should look up. You should look her up.
0: Yeah, she sounds like a really interesting character and a a good match to to fight, like Daredevil, if she can copy moves right like that's Mm -hmm. kind of a good like oh, okay so she sounds interesting there's like a lot of great characters for all of you guys to check out and and breck you're like the encyclopedia of comics and (laughs) you gave me a really nice list of books to read that i'm going to post on facebook uh, for those interested in in reading up on native american superheroes and then i know you have like some other resources and some other um, things you want to talk about too
1: and actually, as I'm sitting here, I just thought of some more. So that's okay. just kind of funny. I'll see.
0: It just keeps coming. So yeah, go ahead. Share, share your they, knowledge they are out with there. us. Yeah, yeah. But
1: yeah, so the one book that I want to mention right away is Occupy Avengers, because I just happen to know a lot about it. You know, I have all eight issues of the series. Unfortunately, it didn't last that long. So the premise is Hawkeye I was feeling depressed about having to kill Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk, in Civil War II. So he decided to step away from big-time hearing and hit the road, kind of like Green Arrow, Green Lantern back in the day, and just help people in need. So he ended up hearing about people living on a reservation in the Southwest who were being targeted by a corporation who were trying to drill around the people's drinking water, kind of reminiscent of today's stuff that's been happening. So he decides to help. Now, in doing so, he teams up with Red Wolf, and eventually Nightshade comes along to help too. I don't know if anybody saw Luke Cage season two, but she was in that. Yeah. And Hydro Man is there as the superpowered bad guy because, you know, comics. Right. You know, gotta have something.
0: Because comics. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, because comics. And that first arc introduces people living on the reservation who assist Hawkeye and Red Wolf because they believe that if they want something done, then they have to fight for it. And so they join and actually help. And, again, they're just regular guys, you know, who are like, you know what? Yeah, this is going to affect my family. This is going to affect my kids. Nah. So they actually fight off. I think it's the Roxanne Corporation. They fight them off off the land, which is good. But then there's, you know, there's always, you know, you got your stereotype, and that would be Apache Chief. Now, you know, if you want to watch old episodes of the Super Friends on the DC Universe app, you know, there's that. You know, where he just says Apache Chief and he grows big or small pretty much. I mean, I that's see. what he does. Okay. There's Ravens from Teen Titans in the Earth One trade paperback. You know, find out she was native. So she wasn't, yeah, she was still, you know, half demon, but I guess half demon, half native. I don't know. Okay. It gets kind of, yeah. You have the superhero named Redbird. And that was from the this story called Batman, the Blue, the Gray, and the Bat. And it just takes place around the Civil War. So in it, Bruce Wayne is a former Union soldier who decides to become Batman. And finger quotes, of course. And, again, every Batman needs a Robin. So, hey, Redbird. Redbird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's this series from uh, from Vertigo that was called Scalped. It lasted 60 issues. I have all 60 issues. Of course you do. Yeah. Because, you know, comics. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a gritty book. You know, probably, I remember I asked my wife about it. She said, Does this, is this writer native? And I don't think he, I think it's Brian K. Vaughn. I don't think he is. I could be wrong. Because okay. she said, It sounds like he spent time on a reservation because the dialect that she was reading. Because oh, okay. anything that has to do with native, like, Oh, Lord, you got to read
0: this. Right. Yeah. yeah and then
1: yeah, she yeah. gets tired of, like, No, I don't want to read that. Like, come <laughs> on, it's really good. <laughs> There was a series called uh, Shaman's Tears, the last of 12 issues. I have a lot of those issues signed by the legendary Mike Grell, who wrote and drew it um, back in the mid-'90s. Again, a, a doctor who decides to return home and help out you know, his people on the reservation. Um, there's Danny Moonstar. You know, She first showed up in the New Mutants graphic novel. And the New Mutants movie that may or may not come out, uh, it seemed like a lot of people were saying that it had to deal with the demon bear. And that was part of her storyline back in New Mutants 20 and 21. And, you know, in that film, or excuse me, in that comic book, the demon bear is actually who killed her parents. So this is like a big thing for her. And, yeah, she was raised by her grandfather on a reservation. And Professor X comes to recruit her to be a new mutant. she's like, no, nah, I don't want to go. And her grandfather says, you should go. You know this is important for you this is my friend you know this is the good guy so eventually she goes and then there's forge who joined the x-men and x-factor and he pretty much has the mutant ability to create anything and another former marine so he actually made a gun to take away mutant's, uh powers when he was introduced he was supposed to get Rogue because Mystique wanted Rogue back into the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants but instead he shoots Storm by accident and he has an enemy named the Adversary who eventually comes into play much later in the X-Men universe actually a big crossover happens and the they have to fight the Adversary there's Echo who we talked about in that story where she meets Wolverine that's Daredevil 51 to 55 I think David Mack wrote and drew it so it's looks gorgeous because it's all painted and of course there's red wolf and he was reintroduced i want to say secret wars miniseries called 1872 and he had his own solo title that only lasted six issues and of course occupy avengers so whew, there's a lot
0: Ooh, okay i'm taking notes I'm taking yeah out. oh wait i
1: just remembered i just remembered there's shaman Uh And his daughter, oh, I can't remember what his his daughter's name is now. But he was introduced in Alpha Flight Number 1. And he's just, you know, a a doctor, a Western medicine doctor, then also a native doctor too, native medicine doctor. And, again, he's one of the First Nations people up in Canada who has a daughter whose name, like I said, I can't remember right now. So, yeah, so many Native superheroes that are out there.
0: There are, yeah.
1: So if anyone has a favorite that we haven't mentioned, send us a message and, or you know post it on our page. You know We will definitely get it out there because we will continue to explore other characters in the future right. and have some exciting guests for you as well, like someone I know, local Oneida comic book artist, Yundala Gaguas or Jessica Paulus. You know, hopefully we can get her on here and she can talk about some of the stuff that she's done because she's been to art shows and, you know, she's created superheroes. And that's just someone, again, another voice out there so you just know more.
0: Oh, I'm so excited for that. I really, I can't wait for that episode. I'm looking forward to to talking to her. I... I always learn so much doing these episodes, especially mm-hmm. from you, Brack, I learned so much. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it really makes me appreciate the comic book world so much more. And I, obviously, I, I know what comic books, the power they have in, in the work that I do, right? You know, in, yeah. in healing and helping people. Um, so I just, it makes me appreciate comic books more, more because I also know that TV and movies have, like, they always have had just a long way to go, but comic right. books, we've, we've talked about that, I think even in the first episode of Hero Nation, that they have always been the first to, to try to at least tell the stories from an authentic place.
1: Right. And I want to say that one person who really made reputations reputation of his life's work was Stan Lee. Yes. You know, back in the day, and again, so I mean the 90s, <laughs> Marvel created the 2099 line. Stan Lee created a hero called Ravage 2099. Wasn't very popular, but I loved the premise. So, you know, rich guy working for the corporation, telling about, oh, all these polluters are tearing up the environment. We need to get rid of them, destroy the slimy people, the poor people. And then eventually he gets betrayed by his boss and he finds out that, you know what, he's been wrong all this time decides to fight against the corporation. And eventually you know he starts with the name like ravage yes, he becomes a monster and when he gets mad he transforms into said monster and but yeah, Stanley wrote the first seven or eight issues of it, I think and he also created an Indian as in from India, a hero named Chakra the Invincible. You know, it's about a teenager given powers, and it's cute. It's fun. It's an all ages book. You know, anybody could pick it up and enjoy it. You know, seeing this kid fight and trying to figure out how his powers work, pretty much.
0: Yeah, Stanley was definitely, you know, a pioneer, and you know, rest in peace, Stanley. His. Mm-hmm his creativity lives on and we are thankful for all the stories that he was able to, to tell us. And, I'm, you know, I'm at least grateful that future generations will get to continue to be inspired by those stories as well. Like our own kids.
1: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I mean, my son is ec- ecstatic about into the spider verse coming out, Yeah. you know? So and in honor of Stanley, we'll close this episode a little differently. Here's a message from Stan the Man Lee this is himself. Stan
2: Lee coming at you. Want you to know Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior!